Today's episode of Idol Weekend is brought to you by Bombus, a great place to get cool, creative, and above all, comfortable socks. Go to getbombus.com slash weekend to get 20% off of your first order. Welcome to Idol Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here. I'm just here. It's just me. Uh, we're doing another really quick, short, uh, gentle, calm, relaxed mailbag episode. But don't worry, Rob will be back next week. He's just got a lot of work to do. I'm actually at PAX. I'm recording this from my friend's closet. But, you know, I couldn't go without touching base with you, gentle reader, gentle listener, gentle people, idle, idle friends just my idol friends. So I'm going to do what I did last time I was Robless. If he was a Ruth, he'd be ruthless. And that's a great joke. That's beautiful. Our first letter comes in from Joe. Joe writes, hey, R&D, been a huge alien fan since I first saw aliens in seventh grade at a sleepover in the mid nineties. I remember laying awake that night, a mixture of fear and adrenaline still coursing through my veins as my adolescent mind juggled the juxtaposition, juxtaposition rather, of badass marines fighting terrifying aliens. For the record, I like the movies in the order they're released, but I agree with Danielle that all the movies have merit. As a fan of the old Alien comics, published by Dark Horse, I have to suggest that Alien 3 was the closest approximation of what those comics conveyed to me. Claustrophobia, hopelessness, nihilism and the relatively low value of human life in the grand scheme of things. To me, the emphasis of these points separated the Alien franchise from other sci-fi franchises in a way I found very compelling. It was a convincing counterpoint to the bombastic feel-goodery of Star Wars and the dry diplomacy of Star Trek. Granted, I feel like the movie could have been better off if Ripley weren't even in it, but I understand why that might not have been possible at the time. It was expected that a big-budget movie bearing the Alien brand have its biggest star in it. The 90s Dark Horse comics and novels, on the other hand, weren't confined to this caveat. They seldom touched the sacred lamb of Ripley's heritage, and instead focused on prisoners, grunts, and the all-powerful intergalactic corporate industrial complex to provide depth and breadth to a universe that deserves far more exposure uh, than the viewpoint of a single, and if excellent, protagonist. I guess my ultimate point is, as the franchise moves into an inevitable, Ripley-less future, I feel the atmosphere of the third movie presents the best interpretation of what makes Aliens so special. Thanks, guys, for hosting such an intelligent, thoughtful podcast. Loves the same dumb things I do. P.S. I highly recommend the Aliens Berserker comic series. It's short and brutal and makes power armor kind of horrific. Just saying. Joe. Oh man, Joe, I also, well, I wasn't at a sleepover when I first saw Aliens. I was 15 and it scared me so much, I jumped behind a couch. I was on a family vacation at like a timeshare or something. So like, I share in your, you know, the first time I saw it, I was so obsessed and, and it just kept going through my adolescent brain. I had the can- the same kind of awesome experience with that. And that's super, super useful also to know that there are comics that capture this. I read the very first Prometheus comic that was uh, that was put out, I think, also by Dark Horse a couple of years ago, and I really, really liked it. It was Ripley-less, you know, obviously, no Ripley. 
uh, but, you know, dark and interesting and, and kind of bizarre and, and weird and allowed to be bizarre and weird in a lot of ways that, you know, sci-fi is allowed to be weird, I feel like. That's, that's kind of what a lot of us sign up for, but it's not always allowed to be weird in the ways that Alien is weird. And I feel like Alien in, in the entire franchise has always been weird in a sexual way as well as weird in, you know, sort of a creepy, scary, sort of more standard way. Like, you know, obviously everybody talks about how the first movie was, was you know, very much in in some ways like a a, a male interpretation of, of sort of like a rape horror story. The way, you know, the... <laughs> the chestburster comes out and everything like that. People have talked about that. And then in Prometheus, of course, we have, like, an actual, like, pregnancy, weird alien pregnancy scene that mirrors that scene really, really well. So there's, like, a weird sexual violence uh, to the movies or, or threat of it that I think is also, like, really important and really interesting and worth talking about when we talk about the alien movies. And yeah, I, th I think you're right. The order they came out in is <laughs> probably a good order. Although I actually think Prometheus... Uh, deserves more credit than it gets. I think Prometheus is a movie that has serious problems. Like, weird pacing, and what the hell? Why do people turn into weird zombies? Like, there's just no real need for kind of a lot of the stuff that happens in it. But I also think it's a really bold and really, really interesting and just... It harkens back. So, it's, you know, it's, it's an action movie. It's a big-budget sci-fi action movie in 2012 in an era where... Big budgets and action and sci-fi don't usually mean introspective questions about where do we come from? Why are we here? You know, the big sort of 60s sci-fi questions that I love in sci-fi and I get very excited about in sci-fi. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it deserves some credit. And like I said last time, I think all of them have merit. I, I think Resurrection is a bananas and wonderful fun time. And, you know, a, a lot of folks actually wrote in about Alien 3. And uh, I'm hoping to get Rob to actually watch, watch it, and, and uh, maybe maybe learn to appreciate some of its its really incredible tone. I, I I do love how bleak it is, and I do love I do love that hopefulness and grit that some of the prisoners have, despite just how messed up their lives are and how bad they were as human beings in some ways. There's there's something kind of special and nice about the idea that, like, yeah, these humans could actually still come together, despite all the shit, despite all the horrible, horrible, horrible stuff um, that's going on <laughs> in their lives and in that moment with an actual creature trying to kill them. There's something to that. There's something about, like, no matter how bleak things get in that movie, there's always, there's always something that can be done. And that, to me, is kind of special, and it's worthwhile. And it's worth the uh, we're celebrating, even though Newt and uh, and and Daddy kind of died. <laughs> a little bit sad. It is a little sad. All right, our next meow mail comes from Christopher McDougall. Christopher writes, "Hi R and D. I've been a longtime listener since episode one, and I've been meaning to write in uh, regarding the topic, but sort of put it off for a time." However, Jake's letter in the August 27th episode, Sci-Fi Sky, uh, along with Danielle's response regarding uh, cancer, struck a, a personal chord with me. I had to pause listening to the podcast in order to write this. Like Jake's grandfather, my own grandparents are currently suffering from dementia, which is hard on both of them as well as my family. However, my situation differs a little from Jake's in that I have a much deeper connection with a specific game rather than a certain subject matter. 
That game is The Eleventh Hour, the sequel to The Seventh Guest. During the 90s, uh, the company Trilobite, known for their game The Seventh Guest, hired a lot of local Medford, Oregon actors to be in the sequel. My grandfather, Jerry McDougal, uh, played the role of a doctor in the game. As a kid, I was amazed to hear that my grandpa was in a video game, but had no means at the time to play it, since I didn't have a PC, uh, and it wasn't on good old games, uh, it wasn't until it was on good old games that I even had the opportunity to own it. However, my backlog always prevented me from firing it up. I recently installed the game, uh, but I've yet to start it. In the last year, I've pondered my grandfather's ailing condition and the reality that he's not long for this earth. Uh, it makes it even harder to start the game. Yet I know it's something I must do eventually. Its purpose being to add one more lasting memory of my grandfather. I'm not sure if you guys have ever been torn up this way. Sometimes knowing that a close friend or family member was part of something uh, can either sway toward or avert us from that thing, whether it's games or other forms of media. Guarding Danielle's response, uh, playing games that feature cancer, as somebody who has uh, testicular cancer, I feel it's easier for me to play a game that features cancer rather than if I were the person that's connected to the cancer patient. As someone with the condition, a lot of personal baggage regarding the illness has been handled directly. No form of media will ever capture what it feels like. I really didn't know what it was like to have cancer until having cancer. And I think that uh, the best media can do is capture what it's like as somebody who's personally connected to the cancer patient. Games like that dragging cancer are important because of this. I also want to write about Yamamushi Pedal and a huge analysis of the sports manga, anime, and its tropes, but I'll leave that for another letter. I have a lot to say about it, but in short, I would recommend Hajime no Ippo to Danielle, which is probably the epitome of sports manga. It's about boxing, so I know it's right up her alley. Thanks much, Christopher McDougall. So much there. Thank you so, so much, uh, Christopher, for sharing. Also, you know, always. Like, I just always really appreciate it when somebody brings a, a personal story and it's, you know, something that hits you right there in several ways here, for sure. Um, but I do, I do understand that instinct. Um, you know, when, when somebody you know, somebody you love has, has made something or been a part of something creative and it's a little bit hard to, to watch or to read or listen to or, Whatever the case may be, I, I certainly feel that way about my deceased grandparents. Um, and they were, you know, they were not uh, commercial artists by any means. But you know, my grandfather liked to—he uh, liked to paint. He liked to do lots of creative things. You know, he had he made paintings, and he—he you know, he actually, believe it or not, um, did uh, knitting. He he knit rugs. Like he was, you know, he's a, a dude, <laughs> you know, from the fifties. But he was into knitting and. He made, like, rugs for us, like, when we were little kids and things like that. And, uh, you know, my grandmother was a pretty awesome musician, and she was a pretty awesome piano player, and she used to write jingles, and she would, like, win little contests and things uh, based on that. And sort of, uh, you know, looking at, at some of those things or, or hearing some of those things, for me, can be a little hard. I mean, it's certainly not a game. Uh, <laughs> my grandparents are not in games. They weren't game developers or in games or anything, but... I do understand that sort of hesitation and the the sort of weight of something like that is it's something to appreciate for sure and it's and it's not always easy. I I always feel weirdly sentimental uh, when I ascribe a lot of value to an object like that, but it's it's how our brains work, right? We we make a connection with somebody, we make a connection with a a piece of media or a piece of art, and and if somebody special was attached to that, it's it's gonna kind of rub off. We all 
sort of have these little tendrils, you know, of emotion that sort of uh, wrap around things in that way. Um, on the cancer note, I, I am not qualified to speak <laughs> on that, uh, other than just say thank you for sharing and, and, uh, yeah, I can, I can only imagine. I, um, you know, nobody wants to be sick. And, and I also think nobody wants their loved one to be sick even more than they don't want to be sick. So, but it's certainly, it's a big part of our lives and it's, and it's worth exploring in a, you know, in a thoughtful way. Uh, for sure. And, uh, yes, I have heard of this Hajime no Ippo, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, but I, I have heard of this. Some people have been on Twitter like, Danielle, there's a boxing anime. Oh my God. And I've been very excited. So, uh, good friend of the show, Amanda Cosmos is, is basically indoctrinating me into the, the Yawapedia, the Yawamushi pedal. Uh, so I'm pretty sure the boxing anime is on its way. Just, I gotta get through the, uh, you know, the pedaling, the cycling anime first. And then I will be right in there. I just, I, I just love about it, you know, and I, and I said this previously, but I love how much, and, and I've heard that this is actually true of a lot of other kinds of sports anime, how much the, the mechanics and the, in the physics even of the sport are, are present and explained. It's wonderful. It's, I really actually feel like I'm learning about cycling. You know, a sport I've always been kind of adjacent to as a runner, but not, you know, the actual physics of cycling. It's fascinating. It's it's such cool stuff. So even if you're not into the high school drama, which I'm kind of not, um, <laughs> it's really fun to learn about these kinds of things. I dig it. It's fun. Alrighty, everybody. Again, just a quick little mailbag episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. We appreciate it so, so much. And we appreciate your letters. My God, we have the most thoughtful letters of any podcast ever. Uh, I remember we've had guests who, you know, have remarked like, wow, are your letters always like this? And we were kind of like, yeah, they are. We've got some amazing listeners and that's not blowing smoke up your collective butts. It's actually true. We've got great listeners and you write great letters. So thank you. Please keep that up. It means so, so much to us. Uh, especially when they have these just wonderful, thoughtful letters. And even the quick, funny ones are great, too. I mean, whatever you got, just just throw it at us. We, we love it. Uh, so with that, I think it's time to head out and enjoy our weekend. I'm going to finish up PAX here. It's been a good PAX, by the way, but we'll tell you all about that in a future episode. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show at idleweekend.net. Send us questions, those great questions and those great letters uh, for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend. Once again, if you ever have a moment, if you have the inclination to do so, if you could rate us on iTunes and if you could tell your friends about the show, it means the world to us. It's uh, really, really helpful. It's kind of the only way we can really get the word out about the show. So thank you so, so much for doing that. Typically for Rob Zachney and today just for myself, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. And one, two, three, and going right into the main show.